apocalyptic genre. You know the one where the world's going to end, everyone's going to die, unless the unsuspecting hero steps up to the plate to save the day, to defeat the zombies, the virus, the global warming, the lava, the aliens, the flood, the asteroids, and the list goes on and on and on, doesn't it? I mean, basically, what I love about this genre is that it's the same plot, just over and over again, just a different bad guy. And yet, here's the thing that we, as consumers, as Americans, we just can't get enough of it, can we? It's like we're just in anticipation, waiting for the next one to come out. We actually pay money. We actually give up time to be in theaters, to watch these kinds of movies, these doomsday movies, even if they have a name like World War Z. And the Z is for zombies, get it? I mean, I know it's got Brad Pitt in it, but come on. I mean, who is in charge? Who is in charge here? So as cheesy and as predictable as the apocalyptic genre is, there's a reason why they keep making them, and there's a reason why we keep watching them. And I believe it's because there's something about them that actually hits a nerve inside of us. Now, stay with me here, because I really believe that these storylines, they actually ask us, they actually force us to stop and ask some very important questions. They ask us uh, questions like, how will the world end, or even when, when will the world end? Maybe on a more real level, it's this question. What would it be like knowing that today is the last day on earth? What would that be like? And I think it's a really important question. Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever thought about that? What would you do if you knew that today, tonight, was going to be your last evening on earth? You might have asked that in a theater for one of these cheesy movies, even with dialogue like, run, fast. (laughs) Very convincing. Or maybe you've asked this question on a more personal level. Whenever a loved one passes, I'll tell you, I never forget the first time that I experienced loss. I was in kindergarten at the time, and my mom had received a phone call, and it just put her to tears. And my siblings and I were just standing around wondering what happened, what kind of phone call is this? And sure enough, as she's trying to put a sentence together, she's describing how her father, our grandfather, had just passed. So the next day, we load up the minivan, and we go on this road trip. And I remember walking into the church and to the, uh, the funeral service. They had a, an open, viewing the open casket. And so I walk up, and I just remember staring and staring and staring at the lifeless body of my grandfather. And I remember asking my mom. I had a lot of questions, as you can imagine. I remember asking her and saying, Mom, is, is this really grandfather? And, and she said something that has stuck with me all the way till today. And she said, no. He's not here. He's home. He's in heaven. And the series we've been in throughout Lent has been calling us home. God is calling us home. And you see, it's essentially 
that this life that we live is not the destination. It is simply a journey. It is simply a passing through. We are simply travelers passing through, awaiting our home, awaiting heaven, preparing for our home. And see, here's the thing. Whenever we have this kind of perspective that that we're just passing through and that we're preparing for heaven and we're preparing for our real home, here's the thing. It, It changes things. It has to. Uh, if you believe that you're here to prepare for heaven, you simply live differently. Even in those doomsday movies, whenever they find out that their time is short on earth, they act differently, don't they? They leave their cars in traffic because honestly, who needs a car? The world's going to end. It doesn't matter. Or more convincingly, maybe they try to find their loved ones and maybe they try to comfort each other. See, their perspective changes, and so do their actions. In our text tonight, Peter begins with this. He begins with this. The end of all things is at hand. Now, here's the thing. Peter is not worried about zombies or lava, but rather what he's worried about, he's, he's actually not worried about anything. He's talking about the anticipation, the excitement of Jesus' return, and he's talking about our salvation, our home in heaven. And he's saying that our focus in life should not be on earthly things, you know, the things that, that our friends and everyone else seems to be really concerned about, you know, things like accumulating wealth, creating this, this great name for ourselves, chasing after the things that really only matter whenever you're living on earth. But rather, our focus should be on heaven. Now, right after Peter says this, right after he says the end of all things is at hand, there's a very important word that he uses. He uses this word, therefore. And what, what he means here is that this is actually kind of in the Greek like a, a neon sign, a red flag that should grab your attention and say, okay, he has a point here, okay? The reason that he has said these things is actually because he's going to tell you something very important, so pay attention, and often it's a result of action steps. So here we go. So Peter tells us that therefore, the first thing that we need to do is that heading home means keeping your head focused. So he says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, red flag, oh, pay attention. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Keep your head focused on the goal. And don't let your emotions get the best of you. Now, here's the thing. Emotions are often a good thing. You can't escape them anyways. Uh, But there is, and there's a lot to be passionate about. But here's the thing. The Bible teaches that we should always be in control of our feelings. And yes, it is possible to keep your head focused. See, Peter here, he says, for the sake of your prayers. I find that line very interesting, that we should do this for the sake of your prayers. Now, look at how Jesus lived. He didn't live to pursue earthly things. Instead, he was laser-focused on his mission. Every single thing that he did or did not do was part of his mission to teach and to save. In Gethsemane's garden on this Monday Thursday, he prayed earnestly, even pouring out drops of blood. See, Jesus experienced the great emotion of fear, and so he prayed, Father, if it be your will, then take this cup from me. 
Now, although he knew that great pain was coming, and although he knew he was about to give his life as a ransom for all, and although a lesser person would have fled, Jesus kept his head focused. Not my will, but thine be done. See, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. The second thing that Peter gives us is to keep loving one another. He's saying, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. So here's the thing. If our perspective is not on earthly things, then our priorities are all of a sudden centered around the things that matter. And Peter tells us that what matters most is love. Now, whenever we think of love, and especially with doomsday movies, we think of this, this love for each other, this love for, for family. But, but more importantly than all of that, uh, this love that Peter here is talking about is to re- be reminded of God's love for us. And Peter says that love covers a multitude of sins. Now, Maundy Thursday night, our Savior instituted the Lord's Supper given and shed for the remission of sins. See, love covers a multitude of sins. Now let me ask you this. Have you ever heard of church people sinning? Have you ever been hurt by church people? Actually, you know what? Let me just turn this around. Have you ever hurt someone else in church? Have you ever sinned against a fellow church member in thought, word, or in deed? See, we have this multitude of sins that need to be covered. Now, with sin, you can do a couple of different things with sin. You can carry it around and in your feelings. Either you carry a grudge, this anger or bitterness that someone else has hurt you, or you can carry guilt about what you've done. Most of us probably do both to some level. We carry both grudges and guilt. And grudges and guilt weigh us down. We trudge around with these grudges and guilt. And let's not forget our fears weighing us down also. And so we are weary and we are heavy laden. Would that someone would cover our sins with love. Would that someone would take away the sins of the world. See, our church is the place where we hear the forgiving love of God. And we share his love with one another. This is my body. This is my blood shed for the remission of sins. Jesus was headed home, loving us all the way. And you and I are part of his body. The multitude of sins is covered, and so we are heading home and loving all the way. Now, I have to confess this for a moment. Even though I work at a church, sometimes I forget what the word Maundy means. After all, this is our Maundy Thursday service. And so this morning, confession time, I had to Google it. Because I forgot it. I forgot what it means. And apparently it turns out that it's this Latin word that is based upon the word commandment. And, and think of maybe Maundy as like mandate. You can kind of see the relation there. See, what Jesus is commanding us on Monday, Thursday is to 
is to have communion. He is teaching us that and commanding us that. But also what he is doing is he is commanding us to love one another. See, Maundy, Maundy Thursday is about loving one another. And Jesus, he certainly gives this example whenever he washes the feet of his disciples that evening. And this leads us to our third point here, is that Jesus demonstrated love through service. Now, you got to remember that people back then, they had gross feet, okay? I'm just going to throw that out there. And I know what you're thinking. Well, people today have gross feet. Yeah, some people do. But you know what? It was not like back then. Imagine walking around with sandals on dirt roads all the time. Gross feet. Now, typically, you would have... Who do the washing of the feet? You would have the servant. You'd have the servant do the washing of the feet. And, and yet here, Jesus is. Jesus gets on his knees and commands his disciples for Jesus to wash their feet. Imagine this scene playing out. Jesus, we're talking about here, Lord of all creation, God in flesh, he's lowering himself to serve the disciples. Now, part of what Jesus was doing here was he was using this as a model for us. Essentially, it's this. It doesn't matter how high up you think you are or how important you think you are. You're never above serving others. And Peter says this. He says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. See, Jesus, he did not just serve the disciples that evening. He actually served all of humanity of all time that evening by allowing himself to be arrested in the garden and then being brought to trial and then later crucified on the cross. He served us by laying down his life so that we may be forgiven of our sins. See, his service brought salvation. And Peter is telling us that we are to love and to forgive one another just as Christ forgave us. See, when we speak to one another... Let us speak as God would have us speak. When we serve, let us do it wherever there's a need and according to whatever abilities that God has given us. As 1 Thessalonians 2.13 encourages us, do not grow weary in doing good. See, people today are very critical of the institutionalized church, right? They're not going to come to this church if they see us as unforgiving, uncaring, or unloving to one another. See, as congregational members, as, as the body of Christ, we only sound out the pure te- we not only sound out the pure teaching of God, but also show it by forgiving one another, caring for one another, and loving all the way. Remember, don't tell me what a friend I have in Jesus until I see what a friend I have in you. 
Now, motivating this kind of congregational life is the truth that we're getting very close to our true home, the inheritance laid for us in heaven. Peter says the end of all things is at hand. Dr. Thomas Traeger of Yale Divinity School tells a personal story, and I think it's a great close tonight. Dr. Traeger had an open-heart surgery. The next morning, he started to wake up in intensive care. He was waking up slowly. You know how that is. And as he was slowly waking up, he heard this loud pounding. Bam! 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 And he thought, oh no. Hospital construction. I don't need that. Bam! 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 And so he prayed, Dear God, stop that pounding. And how was his prayer answered? It was answered as sometimes we experience prayer. Bam! 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 And remember, he was kind of groggy after the surgery. And as he became more awake, he remembered what the surgeon had told him previously. We're going to give you a new artificial valve. It will make a loud pounding noise for some time, but will eventually quiet down. So he shouted out, Dear God, forget that prayer. Take it back. It's okay. Bam, bam, bam. And then Dr. Traeger brought this story home. He says this. He says that, that every beat of your heart is a gift from God. That every beat of your heart is a grace from your Creator. Every beat of your heart is an occasion to stop trudging around with, without grudges and guilt and fear and instead thank God and instead to love one another. Every beat of our heart reminds us that Jesus loves us all the way. Every heartbeat inspires us to love one another as we head home. Why? In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. And let us pray. Dear Jesus, indeed, by on this Maundy Thursday, you showed so much love and you showed so much service, first with the disciples and then with us eventually on the cross for our forgiveness of sins. So Lord, we just pray that as we leave this place that we can, as we're heading home, as we're looking forward and preparing for heaven, that the thing that matters most to us is love and that we can be able to forgive each other and we can be able to love each other just as you have loved us. And all this that we pray, amen.